This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Wednesday, June 14th. I'm Julia Caulfield. And I'm Gavin McGough. In today's headlines, Telluride Mayor to remain vacant until November election. Senator Bennett floats the Dolores River. Bluegrass Eve. And a mountain weather forecast. Telluride will not see a new mayor until November's election. Our charter um, states that the mayor's position must be filled um, basically by an election. So there's not the option for town council to appoint a mayor temporarily. That position has to be elected. That's Telluride town clerk Tiffany Kavanaugh speaking at town council this week. The office of mayor became open following Delaney Young's recent resignation to take the job of community services director for the town of Telluride. Kavanaugh notes with the short time frame before a regular election this November, there's not really time to host a special election. State statute basically states that if we already have a regular election scheduled, a special election cannot be held within 90 days preceding that election. And then... um, A special election would have had to been called by basically last Friday would be the timing on it. So because of the short time frame, I reached out to individual council members before this meeting because this meeting is too late to call a special election um, to ask if anyone would want to hold a special election um, for the office of the mayor. And everyone I heard back from said that they did not. That means, for the time being, Mayor Pro Tem, me and Fee will conduct the duties of mayor. The mayoral election in Telluride will take place on Tuesday, November 7th. Voters will select the mayor, two town council members, and a town meeting moderator. Nomination petitions for those wishing to run will open on August 8th. When the last Congress ended in early January, it left behind unfinished business. A bill introduced to conserve Colorado's Dolores River was heard by the Committee on Natural Resources, but it never came before the Senate for a vote. Senator Michael Bennett, who has championed the legislation, has now reintroduced the bill in the current Congress. Recently, Bennett was able to raft the river for the first time and was joined on the trip by regional stakeholders who have worked for over a decade on negotiating the proposed legislation. Bennett spoke with KOTO News about the Dolores, and he begins reflecting on the trip and the collaboration behind the bill. It was amazing. We, we uh, as you know, we've introduced a bill to protect the Dolores River with a national conservation um, area and special management area designation to protect about 68,000 um, acres of public land. But that came after more than a decade of work with the local community, with ranchers, small business owners, county commissioners. And I had never actually been on the Dolores itself. I'd flown over it. This gave me the opportunity to be able to see some of the most beautiful, beautiful parts of it. And you know, seeing that this was your first time on the river, uh, seeing it firsthand, did that change your perspective on uh, this legislation, that change your understanding of the legislation at all? It just, in a way, it made me it made me more grateful for the leadership from the people from the local community who've worked on this for so long. It's hard. You can be you can look at photos of this, and you can um, people can describe it to you, but until you're actually there, I don't think you can understand what a treasure this is, how majestic this this is. 
and how important it is to protect it. But I think, you know, how you protect something matters a lot as well. In this case, that's because there are a lot of different folks that have interests. And, uh, and that's what we were able to do with this bill was basically keep in place existing uses, but prohibit uh, some some potential threats to the the river of the future, like oil and gas drilling, for example, in the wrong places. And so I I came away just to, uh, thinking that this is one of the most spectacular stretches of river, stretches of public lands that I have seen in the state of Colorado, and I've seen every single inch of our beautiful state. And could you just fill us in on the state of the legislation where it stands in Congress right now? It's been referred. We've had it referred to the relevant Senate committee uh, for the um, environment and natural resources here. And I think we're we're going to be working with Senator Hickenlooper, who's a member of that committee, to see if we can get it passed out of committee and then hopefully move it to the Senate and get it through. You know, there aren't a lot of pieces of legislation that have this kind of bipartisan support from the ground up, but this is one. And I think for that reason, it ought to have a privileged path through here, but we'll just have to see. Yep. And on, on that note, do you have a message to your fellow congressmen and women about this legislation and why it should be a priority? Yeah, I do. I'd say I'd say a couple of things. One, that we should honor the kind of collaboration that underlies this bill. It's easy to say that we're living in a world where nobody can agree on anything. And the people here who negotiated this bill on the ground in a spirit of trying to protect the Dolores River watershed for the future, for our kids and for our grandkids, they came together and they made important choices together. You know, I think that's different even than compromises. I think they made important choices together to put this NCA legislation together. That should be honored by Congress. And then I would say the second thing is our public lands are critical in the West to who we are as uh, a people to 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 our culture, to our history, to our way of life, and for that reason, we should get it over the finish line. And on that note of public lands, you've talked in the past about how this river is the lifeblood of these communities uh, in this region. Will you expand on that a little bit? Um, kind of, how do you see that idea of a of a lifeblood? Um, playing out in the region. Well, it's literally it's it's li- it's literally true, and I can tell you that everybody I talked to could not have been obviously more happy with the snowfall that we've had and the rain that we've had. But they understand how fragile the entire Colorado River Basin is, and that the future of the American West depends on our being good stewards, making reasonable uh, choices, standing up for the the people in the uh, upper basin who have always sent more water down the Colorado River. You know, these are things that we're going to have to wrestle with in the days ahead, even as we enjoy the abundance of what we have today. And I hope that the the work of, the, of this bill can stand as a model for the kind of natural resources and public lands discussions we have to have as a state and as a region going forward. All right. Senator Bennett, thanks for taking the time to chat with me today. Well, thank you for your interest. That was Colorado Senator Michael Bennett speaking with KOTO News about his recent trip on the Dolores River.
A crowd seems to have gathered in the town park campground over the last few days. The bright-eyed, gentle-souled, and oftentimes bearded bunch are practically bubbling with excitement. Whatever could have brought this crowd together? KOTO News headed to Town Park to investigate and brings back this report. I haven't met anybody with a, like, a sad face, to say the least. I can't even imagine that. I, and I can't wait to, uh, for when the formal music starts, which is soon. Uh, yeah, Lang, Matt Lang from Chicago. I, um, I am a member of WBEZ um, Chicago, but I, I donate to Kodo for the hat. I'm a, pretty much a addicted to public radio. This is Camp Tribute. It's not the greatest camp in the world, but it's a tribute to the greatest camp in the world. It's a very interconnected, very eyes-open community that wants to camp in here and wants to be social with each other. Wayne Amsbury from Steamboat Springs, Colorado. This is just a blast, this festival. and. I keep getting turned around because, you know, I don't live here, and everything is just beautifully green. Everybody's nice. My favorite bluegrass tradition, honestly, when they tell jokes about baseball. You know, I can't, I like the music and everything, it's great, but when they they start telling jokes in between songs and they start talking about baseball, um, I think, I think they should do more of that. Oh, my name's Mara. And your last name? Matsumura. He talked me into this. Uh, (laughs) We started dating, and he had just come back from Telluride and was just going on and on about how great it was and how it was spiritual practice. You know, brand new relationship. Spent an entire year telling me how great it was and bought a new tent so that I would be comfortable. And I I said, there better be a mint on the pillow when I get there. And I got in with my suitcase and damned if he didn't have a chocolate bar on the pillow. So that's my favorite Telluride story. Valley is magical. I even named my dog Koto. (laughs) In the first summer edition of Eyes to Ears, Telluride High School's Bella Eatman takes listeners into a natural habitat. Have a listen. Good day, listeners. This is Eyes to Ears, a Koto segment where I, Bella Eatman, go to local art galleries to find paintings that interest me, of which I will describe to you today. Unfortunately, this episode's painting has no name, but it was painted by Jennifer Gottschalk. Dark dirt, frozen blue, 
line the edge of an opaque white frozen lake. Then, rising above that leads to a thick yellow and blue fog that blocks you from seeing anything other than the bear. The bear stands in the middle of this lake. It was heading to the left of the canvas, but now it has turned to face towards us in a somber pondering. The bear, in its painterly form, seems to be made of globs of paint in all necessary colors and shades. Take your painter's knife. Mix and spread the paints of blue, red, black, white, and yellow. Create its silhouette. Leave streaks and smears behind in indication of its dark, coarse fur. The bear's face is illuminated in daffodil light with intricate detail of the bear's small and mournful eyes, its dog-like nose, and the fur of its ears. Welcome back to the ending of Eyes to Ears, listeners. I hope you enjoyed hearing about this painting of the bear. If you want to see it, maybe you could take some time out of your day and go to the Elenoff Fine Arts Gallery, just across the street from the Nugget Theater. Nevertheless, this has been Eyes to Ears. My name is Bella Eatman, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Parking in the Silverjack parking garage is going up. As town staff is currently working on replacing the on-street parking meters and just recently replaced the Silverjack parking meter system, seems like a good time to bring the parking garage rates in line with the on-street parking meter rates, which is currently $2 an hour. That's Kaylee Ranta, Telluride Finance Director, speaking at town council this week. Currently, Silverjack has a tiered parking rate, starting at $1.50 an hour. The new structure will take it up to a flat $2 per hour with an overnight rate of $50 per hour. While the overnight rate may seem steep, Telluride Town Manager Scott Robson says that's the point. To discourage overnight parking, that's not what we're really looking to house there. But if if it does occur, there's a rate that makes it significant to pay for that uh, privilege. He says the town hopes the across-the-board rate makes it easier for those looking to park. There's just kind of ease of use, if you will, uh, across the community by just knowing whether you're in the garage or on the street, $2 an hour is what you're going to pay. From a technology standpoint, it is challenging to have these tiered, tiered systems and just being able to interpret the signage when you drive into Silverjack of what you're going to pay if you stay at X versus Y hour. In addition to the new parking fees, the Silverjack Parking Garage will implement a new payment system. The garage will photograph each vehicle's license plate as it enters to document the length of stay in the garage. Drivers will be given 15 minutes to find parking and pay for their stay. If they do not pay, the driver will be automatically billed for the time they were in the garage plus a $30 fine for failure to pay. The new parking fees at Silverjack went into effect on June 14th. Colorado Attorney General Phil Weiser is urging the federal government to keep a close eye on artificial intelligence. 
He says developments in AI technology raise some, quote, deeply concerning risks, unquote. He signed on to a letter this week with 22 other state attorneys general urging federal authorities to prioritize policies around AI testing, transparency, oversight, and enforcement. Colorado Senator Michael Bennett has also pushed for more regulation of AI at the federal level. A new state law adds protections for immigrants against unlawful detention. KOTO's Lucas Brady-Woods reports it limits local cooperation with federal authorities and privately owned detention centers. The law blocks local law enforcement from detaining people for immigration violations, which fall under federal law. It also bans state and local governments from working with immigration detention centers that are run by private companies. Jordan Garcia is an organizer with American Friends Service Committee a national organization that works on immigrant rights. He supports the measure and says there isn't enough oversight in the private sector. They are for-profit companies, and so they are trying to turn a profit from their shareholders and to make money. And usually what happens when they're trying to make money is they cut corners in some way. He says that can lead to substandard medical care for detainees and make it harder for them to access legal representation. The law stops short of closing existing private detention centers. I'm Lucas Brady-Woods in Denver. The Biden administration recently placed a 20-year moratorium on new oil, gas, and mineral development in a 10-mile radius around Chaco Canyon National Park. The area is sacred ground for many Native American tribes in the region. While a number of tribes encouraged the Biden administration to put a moratorium on drilling, the decision upset leaders of the Navajo Nation. Clark Adamitis of KSUT and KSJD has more. The drilling moratorium affects federal lands near Chaco Canyon, but the landscape is a patchwork of public, private, and tribal lands. According to the tribe, some 5,000 members of the Navajo Nation own 160-acre allotments. Some of these parcels have been passed down for generations. Boone Nigren is the president of the Navajo Nation. For them to just force upon us a 10-mile freeze um, of of our lands, to me, that's quite unfair and disheartening. In fact, the order filed last week by U.S. Secretary of Interior Deb Holland does not affect tribal lands, only federal lands. Navajo Alatis can still legally lease their lands for oil and gas development. But with federal lands off the table, the oil and gas industry is unlikely to invest in the infrastructure needed for a local energy economy. President Nigren says the Biden administration's drilling moratorium on federal lands makes it next to impossible for Navajo Alatis near Chaco to lease their lands. Because these Alatis are the closest thing that we have to land ownership in Indian country. And to do it to them in this manner, which is unjust and unfair to them, is just unbelievable. In this case, you've got over 5,000 uh, allottees that are directly affected financially. President Nigren says his team is currently looking into the financial fallout of the Biden administration's drilling moratorium. For KSUT and KSJD, I'm Clark Adamitis. 
The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for a chance of showers tonight with cloudy skies and a low near 40 degrees. Thursday calls for sunny skies with a chance of showers and thunderstorms developing in the afternoon and breezy conditions with a high near 65. Thursday night should bring partly cloudy skies with a low near 40 and a slight chance of showers. Friday expect partly sunny skies with a high near 65 and a 50% chance of showers and thunderstorms in the afternoon. Friday night calls for partly cloudy skies with a low near 35 degrees. This has been the news for Wednesday, June 14th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. KOTO News will be off on Thursday and Friday for our annual broadcast of the Telluride Bluegrass Festival. Tune in to KOTO's live broadcast from Town Park starting Thursday morning and running through Sunday night. Listen over the airwaves or online at koto.org. We'll be back with more news on Monday, June 19th.